Hey there, everybody. This is Scott Grimes. I play Gordon Malloy on the Orville, and you are listening to the Planetary Union Network Orville Fan Podcast. Dig it! This is Joe Quickle. And I'm Michael May. And this is Planetary Union Network, the Orville Fan Podcast. And so with us tonight is John Kassar. Welcome to the podcast, John. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. Um, so you are just great overall. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you, <laughs> Thank uh, you very much, yeah. everyone. That's the interview. <laughs> um, so you were nominated for and won uh, won several primetime Emmy awards and Directors Guild awards, and um, I, I remember uh, from I, I think reading something that you posted before that you had uh, started as a camera operator. That's correct. Yes, I was a camera operator for ten ten years, twelve years before I became a director. I mean, my plan was always to be a director. Inside, that's really what I wanted to do, but. When I came out of college, uh, which was in Canada, I went to Algonquin College in Ottawa, Canada. I was already married and had a child by the time I got out of college. So I had to go out and make a living really quickly. So (laughs) I didn't have time to do the little short films and that kind of thing that most directors do to get started. I had to uh, get jobs that paid me so I could feed my family. So uh, camera was the way I went because I was a photographer already just as a hobbyist. And so I knew I could do that right away. And, and right out of school, I was already working. So that that helped me at least jump into the career really quickly. And I saw you were a, a camera operator on PCU, which is, in my opinion, arguably arguably the best college movie of the 90s. Yay! <laughs> I tell you, it was the funnest movie to make in the 90s, that's for sure. It was so much fun making that movie with uh, Jeremy Piven and, and all the guys, David Spade and all the guys, John Favreau. Uh, and John and I still have a relationship because of that, because, uh, you know, we were on that movie together as a camera operator and an actor. So it was actually really fun reconnecting on the Orville. Uh, I actually even had a picture from the set, which I, I, I gave to John. He laughed his ass off. We both looked so much, much younger, thinner, and, uh, I don't know, happier. LAUGHTER it was it was a really great film to be on and uh, and it was really fun to, to make and looking back on it now it has become a cult classic i think it's one of the hottest films at universities you were a camera operator on war of the worlds as well is that right yeah war of the worlds the tv show oh, if the you TV remember show. that you remember the television show war of the worlds that's what i was a, a camera okay. operator okay gotcha um i i you first popped my radar from 24, of course, although, um, you know, you've done this a ton of different things. Um, and, and my son especially is a big fan of Terra Nova, but we enjoyed watching that together. Um, and, uh, um, but 24, like, uh, so you worked with Penny Johnson Gerald a little bit on that show, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I was with her for a long time. I, I came in on the second year on 24 and, and the way that yeah. happened was I did, uh, the original, uh, La Femme Nikita. I did the uh, pilot for that. 
that was on USA Network, not the later one called Nikita, the original one called La Femme Nikita. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was uh, the same producer, Joel Cernow, that, uh, that did 24. In fact, one of the funniest stories is, as, we, as uh, Nikita was wrapping up and he was thinking about his next series, he came to me one day and said, I got this great idea for a series where we watch these you know, anti-terrorist guys, but it's in 24 hours, like every hour is a real hour. And I, I looked at him and I said, oh, my God, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. I said, that, <laughs> I said, that sounds ridiculously boring. You're going to have to watch guys like walk to the car, get in the car, drive <laughs> to the place, sit and wait for the bad guys. I'm like, my God, that sounds horrible. I said, I think you better, you know, I think you better go another direction. I don't think this was a good idea. Now, little did I know that it was going to have the pace and the speed that it had. And when he called me up uh, to do a couple episodes in the first year, I came in and I was in love instantly. It was it was it was like he it was like he designed the show for the way I shoot and 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 the kind of content and storytelling I like to do. So you know, I became a fan instantly and realized I was so wrong, yeah. <laughs> so, so wrong. Well, and Penny's character on that was such a big part of that too. Like Sherry Palmer is like. In my like pantheon of villains is Darth Vader, Sherry Palmer. Like she was so badass in that. <laughs> she would be so happy to hear that. <laughs> oh, she was great though. I mean, she really was a villainous, uh, sort of almost uh, an a Lady Macbeth type character. She uh-huh. really was. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, you brought up Lefemme Nikita. Uh, a, a friend of mine actually uh, worked in the art department on that show. And um, also Mutant X. Oh yeah, I did Mutant X too. I did I did a, my fair share of sci-fi shows. Yeah. I'm also proud of Continuum, the the show that we shot in Vancouver. Uh, I really I really enjoyed that. I did the pilot to that one too with Rachel Nichols, cool. and, and it was so it was so smart and so well written, and, and it was just a great sci-fi show. Yeah. So you had a, a question about Terra Nova, right? Yeah. Um, since you directed the last episodes of it, uh, can you tell us what was um, with the uh, the ship's figurehead found in the Badlands? And was it really supposed to be the actual figurehead from Robert Scott's Antarctic exploration ship, the Terra Nova? Yeah, I don't know if the, it, it went into that much detail because it was just something the writers put in just as a you know some kind of starting point for the next year. Uh, again, it's tough for me to answer some of these questions because I'm not in the writer's room. You know, I right. get the scripts just as they come out. Uh, on 24, it was a little different because they would come to me and start pitching stories and getting my input because I was on that show for so long. But uh, I can't tell you in detail what they, they were going to do with that. Uh, it was too bad. I, I really enjoyed Terra Nova, and I really thought we were actually getting into a groove by the time we ended that season. And that's mostly because Unfortunately, it, it had a little too many mothers and fathers. It, it mm. wasn't like before where it was, you know, a couple of guys and they knew what the show was. Uh, and like most shows have that, you know, Seth is a perfect example of knowing what the show is and, and, and constantly towing that line to making sure it is that. And Terra Nova never had that, unfortunately. It, it, it was born by a committee. And so you'd never had the one person that said, this is the show. And so we really were trying to find ourselves, and I think we did find ourselves in those last two episodes, which were really kind of spectacular. But unfortunately, by that point, then it was it was over, and we never got picked up. Yeah, yeah, it was too bad. We were enjoying it. 
Now, um, so you, you've got this huge sci-fi pedigree, and uh, but so and it, that of course completely matches with the Orville. But the the Orville is kind of different because it's got like this comedy element to it. Like, has that been uh, a challenge at all, or is that fairly easy for you to kind of get in that groove? Or uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, it, it's interesting because uh, you know I don't I really don't do a lot of single episodes. You know, as, which is the business is kind of formed that way. Mm-hmm. People come in and. If you have 12 episodes, you have 12 directors. It's that kind of thing. Uh, although it has been changing drastically within the last five years, as you can see. Uh, you know, on 24, we basically had two directors. It was me and Brad Turner. And, uh, you know, we did 10 each. So that was 20, and there were only four left. So, you know, we really, it, it changed. But, but so I don't do a lot of that. I'm, I'm usually hired as a producer-director, and I'm on for the whole series, and I do, you know, a good chunk of episodes. And... Uh, and I was offered this because of Brandon Braga, who I knew from 24. And he said, you know, come and do the show. I think it'd, it'd be great for you. And and I saw it. He showed it to me. He showed me like an episode and told me what it was about. And I thought, wow, this is, I don't usually get offered this kind of show because it, it, it does have a huge comedy element. But it was really interesting because they said one of the things they wanted to do is they wanted to make sure that all the directors were actual drama directors. They mm-hmm. wanted to you know, shoot it as a straight-up drama, as a straight-up, you know, one-hour drama as opposed to uh, a half-hour sitcom, which is, you know, a different different style of director, a different type of director. So right away, I was like, okay, that's cool, because that's what I can do. And so uh, I came into it a little nervous, of course, because of the comedy, but you have one of the, you know, probably one of the, the better com- television comedians right now, or at least, you know, as far as writing and, and performing, uh, you know, right by your side through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It really was a great learning experience for me and, and really, really interesting the way he sees the show and the way he sees the type of shots you do for the type of comedy. Uh, and so that was actually, for me, it's been a great experience. It's been a really great learning experience. Cool. So, um, uh, and this, uh, this, uh, past week's episode wasn't the first one you directed you did krill last season i did do krill last season which was you know again a very strange first episode <laughs> to come into because yeah. my two lead characters seth and and uh and uh scotty were both in full makeup i think the first four days we shot i never saw them as Seth and, and Scotty, I just saw them in full makeup because they obviously had to come in so much earlier than me to get it all done. So it was a very strange way to start my relationship with Seth, seeing him as Krill every day. Uh, it, was, it was a good stage, but it was a great script. Uh, and that's, you know, Cherry, Cherry did an amazing job with that script. And so it was really fun for me. And, and I think by the end of the first day, I was already going, oh my God, I, I, can, I can do this. I can do a few more of these. This is really fun for me and and it felt very comfortable right away well are you doing more this season i am i'm I'm doing four this season oh wow great i did four this season and then i oversaw pretty much the shooting of all the others yeah that's part of my job as a producer director so and there's some directors where i was basically there every day you know helping out the best i could sure oh you need that kind of continuity nowadays in these shows yeah. It really helps. It helps with the actors. It helps with the crew. Uh, and, more, you know, you're going to, I really predict there's going to be more and more of it. The cable people have already done it. You know, it's like what happened with True Detective in the first season where it was one right. director. Did. 
it really makes a big difference, and it really helps, I think, everybody out. It's how I did the Kennedys, too, my mini-series of Kennedys. Mm-hmm. You know, I did all eight, eight hours. Now, I'm telling you, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I would warn anyone that's jumping into it like that when you're doing eight hours straight. It's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge, but when you get through it, it, it really is satisfying, and, and you get to control the whole project, which is great. When you're doing a miniseries like that, is it, what's the schedule like? Like, is it as rigorous as doing like a weekly TV show, or do you kind of have more lead time to kind of figure out a lot of that stuff? Or oh, it's well, it, it is. It is timing wise, it's the same. I think the Candies was only nine hours, nine days per episode, which again, okay. is, which is pretty pretty ambitious considering we did you know from the 1930s right up to the 70s. Yeah. So it was really, it was really a, again, a high wire act, but a great crew and a great cast, obviously. But no, you shoot it all as one piece. So, so it's called cross-boarding. So any, uh, on any day, you could be doing scenes from episode one, episode four, episode eight. Oh, wow. Next, yeah, mm. It's all over the place. So it really is, it's hard to keep track of because you're keeping track of eight hours. I mean, yeah. eight scripts alone, you know, is like... It's a big pile of paper just to just to carry around, basically. It's it's pretty crazy when you're doing it that way. But but it's a huge advantage financially because once you're in the White House, then you're doing eight hours worth of White House scenes, you sure. know. And once you're in at, at uh, Hyannisport, you're doing eight hours worth of Hyannisport scenes. So it does make sense financially that way. And yeah. it's it's better for the actors too because they're in one location. They're not constantly going back to the oval office every every time because there's a new director so mm. that really helped cool i, I read a um, a rumor I, I can't remember where i saw it it might have been reddit uh but that uh, david a goodman was actually in front of the camera for this episode is that actually true no i think what what happens is david david does like voices for us when we do the read through mm. So I think someone saw his nameplate because when we all sit around in the circle, they put a nameplate of all the actors, obviously regulars, but you still put their names out. And it's really for us to get comfortable with all the new people, the people that are just coming in to do day work, basically, on, on an episode. And so David does, you know, there's a voice from a, you know, from a, a general or, or an admiral, or he does uh, Yapit's voice, for example. So then he has a nameplate. And I think someone saw a picture that had David Goodman's nameplate and thought that he was actually uh, on camera. Okay. Makes so sense. That rumor is now officially debunked. Clarified as wrong. <laughs> awesome. What uh, is the most um, challenging shot so far you've done on the show? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not that kind of director. You know, I, I think there's, I remember as a camera operator, Directors used to come in and like put everything on this one cool shot that was going to like change everything. And, mm-hmm. and I was always going, yeah, that, that's great. Whatever. Like, <laughs> is it telling the story or is it just a cool shot? So I, I'm not that guy. I, I don't really do, do that kind of, that, that kind of shooting. I, I find it a little bit crippling when you're in editing, you know, you do a long one take shot. That's all you've got. And if, if the timing isn't right, if you want to change a little bit of the script, you get you get handcuffed with it. And especially in television. I mean, in television, you're still working the whole show out in post, more so than you are in a film, I think. Uh, and especially because you have a time limitation, as opposed to film, where you, you know, it can be anywhere from an hour and a half to four hours. 
it, it doesn't matter. Well, in television, a lot of time, we've got seven, eight extra minutes. And when you have that seven, eight extra minutes, you're doing a lot of editing to make sure that you're still telling the same story, but cutting a lot of the script out. And sometimes by cutting script out, you need to add a line or two. So, sorry, there's a whole lesson there in, in, in shooting, but <laughs> basically that's why I don't do that kind of shot. So we've done some cool shots, we, you know, on the show, but nothing that really stands out. No, no true detective wonder, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I have, questions about the the episode home it, itself especially like as i was watching it knowing we were going to get to talk to you i was so excited but we get, we get to the end of that end of the episode and that goodbye scene um and just how emotional that is like was that the last scene shot for the episode or yeah we, um, did, we did that on purpose we, we shot that last yeah uh, yeah because, like because, you, know, you know actors believe it or not are are human and and when they know they're not going to see someone for a bit, possibly, then there's there's a real emotional thing that happens. And so I wanted to take advantage of that. And it was it was better for the actors too. It's definitely not the the first you know scene you want to shoot <laughs> right out of the gate. You know? Right, right. Probably not right. smart that way. And so we did actually we did actually schedule it last, and, and we did do it last. And you know you're seeing those tears. Those are obviously real tears. Yeah. So, so it really, it really helped, I think, make the scene special. And then the music, of course, was just spectacular. For sure. You know, it, was, it was just so good. What Joel does, it's incredible. So, so yeah, it was really, it was, it was, it was great. It, it, it ended up being like I wanted it to be. So I was pretty happy with it. Awesome. So, and, and the blocking of it was like, she comes in and like the, the, the set is empty. And then the cast kind of, you know, just kind of appears from around uh, you know, the shuttles and stuff. It was that, uh, something that was in the script or was that something you kind of came up with or someone else came up with on the, on the set? I actually can't remember. I think it was probably in the script, but that, that's, that's my kind of thing. I love doing stuff like that, especially because I'm always playing with expectations, audience expectations and what they think they know and what they think is going to happen next. And, and, you know, that was obviously, that was our lifeblood on 24 constantly mm -hmm. trying to out, out, you know, outwit our audience. Well, in this one too, <laughs> I thought it could work. I thought there could be a moment where people think, oh, my God, there's going to be nobody there because we already had a goodbye scene in the show. Right, you know, right. And says it, two goodbyes. So I, I think because we did that one already, I think people were more apt to believe, oh, my God, then this is it, I guess. They kind of said goodbye to already. I think this is going to be by herself. And then yeah. it's a nice surprise when you do see them. So I think that was part of my, my logic to, to having it work out that way. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, one thing that uh, that took me by surprise was during um, Alara's dream sequence, whenever she looked human. Yeah, that that was interesting. That was in the script. That was in the script. And unlike some people on online that thought maybe it was a mistake and we forgot to put makeup on her that day, that's <laughs> not what went down. Uh, I I actually thought it was interesting because I thought maybe it was a an Alara thing, you know, like. Like, I don't know, if you're a sci-fi fan, maybe you're going to have a dream and wish you were a Klingon. I mean, who knows? I mean, you're not necessarily going to be yourself in a dream. So maybe that was her, sort of her, like, one of those hidden hidden secrets that she had, that maybe she, she wanted to be human. Who knows? But it, it made it more interesting, and it made it, you know, put a little question mark on it, which I thought was great. Now, the beach stuff that you shot, where, where was that filmed? That was uh, at one of the beaches, Leo Carrillo Beach, here here in L.A., and uh, it was actually very funny because we went out there to shoot 
that scene basically and and plates a bunch of plates for uh for all the the flying of the vehicles flying over the water mm-hmm. so all that water stuff you saw behind the vehicles flying was we actually shot it it wasn't stock wow. and we had a, a drone crew and that's how we were getting those shots and we went out there and of course it does rain in southern california every once in a while and it was an absolutely miserable day like miserable it was pouring rain we were under cover for most of it just waiting for it to break the rain would stop. We'd send the drone out and get a couple of shots of the ocean. And as as it got closer and closer to the end of the day, we were going, this is not going to work. I mean, I wanted this to be this beautiful scene of, like, this horse, you know, in slow motion or this, this animal like a horse in slow motion. And uh, and then just just before it got dark, the clouds kind of broke open and here comes the sun. And at that point, we just went like mad and shot as fast as we could before it disappeared on us. And so we were very, very lucky. It was it was one of those great, great moments in, nice. in film because you you know you're when you're dealing with exteriors, which our show doesn't deal with that much. Although we do this year, I think we deal with it more. I think we we, we left the studio a little more than we did last year. And uh, you never know. And you know you could have the best plan in the world, but unfortunately, you never know. But in this case, it, it worked out. You mentioned the horse. Um, was was that an actual horse that was just kind of digitally replaced, or is that completely digital? No, it's it's an actual horse. So it was okay. it was a horse that uh, that they they on in the on the riding thing they didn't have markers. When 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 her sister goes up and pets it, we mm-hmm. had markers on the horse, so it would help them create the head and and uh, and and the ears and the different tail and the different look of it. Uh, I thought, uh, did you like it? I thought they did an incredible job. It was really yeah. cool. That's, yeah. It was yeah. really, really well done, especially the riding, because, you know, that's that's a moving camera and a moving shot, and you yeah. have to roto all that, and, and it was really, really spectacular. I thought it was really well done. Me too. So we had um, several guests, uh, a lot of returning, some new, uh, this episode. Uh, Patrick Warburton playing uh, Tharl, which had some great lines <laughs> yeah well patrick i think could read the phone book and you'd laugh but true it's true yeah he really his delivery so fantastic <laughs> you think you think maybe under all that makeup it, it would hide his 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 delivery but it still doesn't he just has this incredible staccato kind of you know pause delivery that is so funny and uh and yeah so he was he was great he was really fun to work with too and Jason Alexander, of course, who who's just fantastic. It was saw that he uh, had a credit this season, or not this yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, because episode. we wanted to be surprised when we used them the first time. Yeah. yeah. So this time we just figured by this point people know, and and uh, and yeah, it was really fun working with those guys. It, it's fun that way. I mean, it, it's great that Seth can you know attract these people to come to our show, which is great. And then of course we had the two doctors, which the whole internet yes. was very excited about. You know, all the all the Trekkies really love love the fact that we had those guys. Yeah, with and with both of them on there, it really made that uh, that line when um, they uh, deliver her back on uh, Zalea pretty funny. That uh, Robert Picardo said, uh, "We have doctors on Zalea." Yeah, that was a wink, wink. (laughs) 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 That was a bit of a wink, wink. (laughs) No, they were and they were both such fantastic actors. John, I had worked with before. Because John had a, a pretty good arc on 24 at the beginning of, I want to say season four, but I'm not exactly sure what season it was. Uh, but he had a he had a good uh, arc as a hacker, 
uh, and he hacks into, he helps the, the terrorists, or they torture him into helping them uh, hack the uh, air, air traffic control system. So he, he, was, he was pretty good. So I'd worked with him already, and Mr. Picard I hadn't worked with, and he was fantastic. He was so great. Joe, you want to uh, get into the episode, or um, sure? Um, yeah, uh, we've kind of started already a little bit, but um, right. <laughs> so the uh, um, you know we 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 open up with the uh, the, the arm wrestling betting scene. Uh, how <laughs> that that how ridiculous was that to to, to shoot? I mean, I, I like um, seems like there'd be a lot of takes with that. People just losing it and cracking up. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was fun, and then we did that. Actually, that was a cool shot. That that was one of the cool shots. That was from our director of photography, Marvin Rush, uh, recommended that shot, and that's uh, the shot that comes underneath their arms that starts on Jason, and then mm-hmm. it pulls back and goes right on, like right through their their crossed arms. Uh, that was a, a special adjust uh, something you put on the lens called a periscope, so it makes it makes what the lens can do very thin and small, so you can kind of. So you, we actually started with it all the way underneath their arms, seeing Jason, and then we pulled back, and then you you know you saw the the, the whole thing in action. And then we did big overhead. So there was some cool shooting in there because it's the start of the the, uh, the show. So you always want to do something a, a little special. Yeah, and it was really fun. I mean, everyone got right into it. It wasn't hard to you know to get everyone cheering and <laughs> doing what they were doing in there because they were right into it. Yeah, it was fun to see Yappet in that scene too, it, uh, and hear Norm Macdonald's voice because we saw him a little bit last episode, but um, didn't actually get to hear Norm speak. But uh, it was, I, I was excited to hear him. Well, there's a, you'll be excited to know there's a great Yappet episode coming up. Oh, awesome! That that is very exciting. <laughs> and for all you Yappets out there, <laughs> yeah, I, I I love Norm Macdonald so, and I. Yeah, actually, I, I know Norm uh, from back in Canada. We actually both went to the same college together a year apart. Oh wow! Yeah, he's a grad. He's a he came from Algonquin College too in Ottawa. Another Canadian boy. Yeah, <clears throat> unfortunately, we've been told that he doesn't have time for us. So, <laughs> oh. I know <laughs> he is a very busy guy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he <laughs> is. He's he's all over the place. So it wasn't a big surprise, yeah. but I had to try. He, he is a very busy guy. You know. So uh, during that that arm wrestling scene, um, her uh, Alara's arm breaks, and then we uh, basically set up the, the set up the plot, finding out that her uh, muscle mass is down twenty percent, bone density down five, her strength's deteriorating, and has to uh, has to return home. Yeah, and that shot of Zalea is, I, I think. Um... Scott's character even mentions just how beautiful it is. Like he's just like it's his favorite one in the galaxy or something like that. Uh, oh, yeah. But it is, it is gorgeous. It. Uh, well, yeah, that's you know that puts a lot of pressure on the visual effects people when one of the characters says, yeah. "Oh my God, this is the most beautiful planet I've ever seen." Yeah. <laughs> These guys go, yeah. "Oh great!" <laughs> uh, so there was a lot of work put into that, and and. Uh, and I think that's, I'm telling you, it's the tip of the iceberg as to what we're doing in visual effects this year. There was a, a, a you know, a, an effort from everyone, including Seth, to really up the game in visual effects. And, you know, as he keeps saying, I want it to look like, you know, feature film visual effects. And I think we're there already, even just the three episodes that have aired 
I think the visual effects have, have really, really improved. Not that they were not good last year. I thought they were fantastic last year. But I think this year what we've got coming and, and the storylines that uh, have, you know, major visual effects in them, uh, I think everyone's going to really enjoy what we've got coming for you. And, and that particular fly-in was gorgeous. It was just yeah. beautiful. Yeah, we definitely have noticed it in the, uh, the episodes that have aired so far. The, uh, the, the, the ship around the star uh, in the last episode, like, there was some just gorgeous visuals yeah, there, too. Really, really beautiful, really beautiful work. Yeah. So we uh, had some, uh, or were introduced to some new technology with the gravity shield. Mm-hmm. That was a cool visual, too, with the the orange, the kind of kind of like, Wave yeah, that, that was tricky. That was tricky just trying to decide what that was going to be. And, and what I didn't want is I didn't want something there the whole time. Mm-hmm. I thought it would just get really disturbing to see just this kind of like, you know, net of, of light on it. So, so the idea, sort of we came up with the idea of having it shimmer. So you know it's there, but you don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to see that it's there all the time. And we were just, you know, very sort of we really sort of thought about where we wanted it and where we told the story of, Oh yeah, I remember this is here. This is why, uh, you know, Gordon can stand on the, on the back of the, the shuttle ramp and not sure. be affected because he's behind that. So I'm happy that came through because it was a bit tricky for us. Yeah. So, after after we that. posted the, uh, the, the promo shot, um, a few days before the episode aired that, uh, had the, that really cool gravity suit and, um, had, uh, Scott in the background. Um, most of the speculation was completely wrong because they're like, "Well, oh, it looks like the the union's got new kinds, uh, a new design on their pants," yeah, or like, "Why does try?" And then they're trying to figure out like, you know, maybe or why why he's not in a suit as well. And then I think they finally figured out it was a kind of a. Well, that's because they're yeah. all jumping the gun, just waiting to see the episode, and then right, <laughs> right, exactly. No, but I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked really well, and, it, and part, partly that whole scene of them standing on the ramp and then throwing out the you know the little metal bottle and watching it yeah. get <laughs> was so you know the audience has a real good idea of what it can do. So at the right. end, when you when you you know you've got uh, Ed in danger, you in your head. You're going, oh, my God, I remember what it did to that bottle. This is what it's going to do to him. And it established that they could stand on the ramp, like again, like Gordon did at the end. Yeah. And it's such a Gordon Malloy thing to do, too. Like, I just, I just want to, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just got to try this. My, my son, was... by the way, is uh, my older son, uh, Alexis Kassar, is a concept artist on the show. And oh, cool. he's the one that designed that creature that you saw. And uh, did did many did, did all the concept work basically all year. So, so nice. and he was watching with me, and he goes, "That is such a thing I would want to do." Right. Just knowing, <laughs> and I, I agreed with him. I said, "So many people would want to try that." You know, let's yeah. see what will happen. So it's great, and it's great that that Seth loves that kind of that 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 kind of character, which makes the people more endearing to the audience. Quite honestly, right. when they do that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it, it adds a realism to it. That, uh, yeah, exactly. It's not a stuffy realism, but it it's uh, it lightens it up and uh, it just makes it feel like real people. Yeah, that, I think that's what it does. And I think sci-fi has that ability sometimes to do the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. You and, and it's very hard to identify sometimes with some of the characters in sci-fi because they're, 
they're 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 in situations that you're not you know you're not privy to at any point in your life. So it makes it a little harder to connect. And I think I think what Seth has done with the show with the Orville is he's given you real people. You know, he's given you a real captain, a, a guy that doesn't 100% know what's right all the time, which, you know, he does pretty well, but then at points he has his doubts. You know, relationships that aren't perfect, that, that, are, that aren't even close to being perfect. So it just makes them all feel a little more real. And I think that's why the audience is really, I think even this year, it even feels like they've, they've jumped even more into the characters, why they connect to them more. Absolutely. Yeah, the artist uh, Jack Kirby once said that something like, uh, "You know, you can you can put whatever kind of crazy, wacky ideas you want to into something, as long as the characters react to it like people really would." Um, yeah. And the Orville does that just in such an interesting, different way that we've ever seen before. Well, I think I think also he's playing on the fact that we've seen it in a way that that is the opposite of that and right. so we're able to play it more and i think you you get a better sense of it because we're so used to watching so many sci-fi shows with captains that have all the answers you know and have right. never have any doubts and so it's it's not that hard to just be real compared to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's one of my favorite parts about the show is that it's uh it, it it's like more normal people running a starship yeah yeah yeah, which probably you know, I think there's a, there's a little bit of reality to to it in a way because I think they would still be loving what they're doing and enjoying the the the, the perks of being you know being able to be in space and have all these kind of cool gadgets and stuff. So it's kind it's kind of nice. I I actually love that part of the show. What's next, Joe? Uh, I'm reading notes. Sorry, <laughs> this is the reason why we're not a live show. Um. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I get it. Trust me. I used to do a lot of, I used to do a lot of on-air stuff. I had my own film review show for a while called Film Facts. Oh wow, cool. Yeah, it was like a Gene and Roger film review show when I was in college because I wanted to be in the movies, but I was, you know, in college and I was in a, in a television, and we could go to the local station and do our own TV show just and mostly for practice to get more time behind the camera and producing sure. your own show. And we did a, a kind of a Gene and Roger. It was John and Dan's uh, film facts, and we we reviewed movies, and we went to film festival. We had movie passes; it was great. We nice. weren't in the movies, but we were around them a lot, so it was fantastic. And to this day, I'm still a movie fanatic. I'm, cool. I still watch about a movie a day, so nice. I'm nice. still hooked on movies. <laughs> but again, we didn't do it live either. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another uh, another scene that uh, kind of establishes the uh, the gravity um, on the planet is whenever um, Alara steps out of that uh, uh, gravity shield and collapses and you figure, you know, this happened to a, a, a Zelayan on uh, with human gravity for the short period of time that, that she was, you know, can't imagine what that would happen to an actual human. Yeah, exactly. And, and that actually started to establish for us, story-wise, it started to establish that she she was weak and she it was going to take her a little bit of time to get back to you know adjusting to that gravity because she did lose a lot of a lot of strength that way and so that was our way of showing that right away and then the fact that she couldn't even walk she was being held up by her parents so that set up the whole wheelchair thing which yeah. I thought actually ended up being pretty good considering how we did it because that was one of our biggest challenges once we wrote the floating wheelchair we we're like okay. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> it's not well, it like worked. you're out in 
floating wheelchair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the chair really worked. It was heartbreaking to see her in it, and, and this character who's been so physical, you know, the whole time that we've known her, um, to just suddenly not be able to get around on her own um, was yeah. pretty uh, hard. That was the point that 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 Cherry made with that, which was great, and the yeah. fact that you know then she had to come out of it to save the day was. was mm-hmm. But I also love the fact that she didn't really save the day at the end. She had got the father to do it, which I thought was really yes. Kind of, again, very different. On any other show, she would have been the one that went ta da, and I'm going to save everything. Yeah, and she was instrumental, obviously, in saving the day. But still, her her father had to had to do what she did. Had to get down to her level from his sort of high loft, intellectual loft, and get down to her level and get down and dirty, which I thought was a really interesting, nice twist. Yeah. Now for a. Uh... Well, for a bit during the episode, I thought I, I thought we were going down the heroic sacrifice route instead of uh, how it actually ended up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess we, you could have gone down that route, road, I guess. Glad you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I guess I'm gonna because uh, the that scene, that last scene with her and uh, and Robert Picardo, like his acting in that was I guess just because I'm used to him playing the doctor who's a fairly straight laced kind of a character but uh, when he breaks down at the end there that was amazing yeah it really was was good and it was really important I mean that was such an important scene you know because because if you really track it she wants to go back to the planet because of that moment right you know that's why she wants to go back home because she knows there's hope she knows there's a difference now from when she first got there uh, and, you know, he plays such a strict, you know, hard ass when you first mm-hmm. beat him. You just like, you just want to punch a guy in the face, like it says. And <laughs> right, so, you know, right. to really have him break down like that at the end. And it was really interesting, too, because it was very clearly stated that they don't hug. And it wasn't this big, oh, everything's okay now, because it's not okay. It's only just the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we did that little hand thing. I just wanted something. I, I, I agreed. I didn't want the big hug and, and to feel like everything was okay. So we just did the hand thing, which was her reaching out and saying, you know, we can start this relationship now. We can, you know, right. we can, can see if we can get this going. And that's why she goes back. It had to be believable to leave the, the ship because, you know, she does nothing but tell everyone how great the ship is and how, how great the people are on the ship, not the ship itself, but how great the people are and the mm-hmm. relationships she has and, and, and how much do people believe in her. So it had to really be a strong reason that she was going to leave that. And I think that scene cemented that. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and uh, just something that just just popped into my head um, about, uh, you were talking about her, talking about the uh, just appreciating the people on on the ship, whereas... Um, the, uh, the the interim replacement uh, Tharl seems to be just more taken with the ship itself. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that's that's probably a little thing Cherry did. Even, even that's actually a little smart move. Something I didn't really connect, but that that almost makes sense. That shows you the difference between the two. Yeah, didn't he like the carpets? I think he liked. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, well. If this is a spoiler, feel free to say you can't talk about it. But so, are we seeing more of uh, Warburton? Like, is he the new? And without Chief spoiling, I, I can say you will see him again for sure. Okay, all right. That's all I'm going to say, though. I can't. Sure. Really yeah. That. Yeah. Good. 
such a good character. You definitely want to see him at least one more time. Yeah, right. So you think? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I was almost disappointed when she came back. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what the hell happened? Yeah, like, aw. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, taking the two to tummy down was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the end with the, uh, with the present that she gives him? Oh, my son and I called it, and it was perfect. It was... I was like, "What do you think is in there?" And David said, "It's it's pickles." <laughs> and, uh, oh, it was it, it was just it it nailed me, nailed me. Actually, very funny because someone online said, "I'm I'm not that familiar with the show. Does that mean she's pregnant?" Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, you got to go back and see a few episodes there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so beautiful. I thought it was great because I know it's something that the fan, you know, and and look in today's day and age, I saw it on Twenty Four. We start writing to, to the fans. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that we're listening to what they're talking about. We're connecting to what they, they they're connecting to. And the jar of pickles was something that came up all the time, you know, uh, online. It, I, I was almost going to say on the boards, which was the original sort of way of connecting to the fans on 24 when we had all the boards the message and people would get on and, and say what they thought. And on 24, we did the same thing. I would be, I would be the one that reads them all and goes back to the writer and said, look, they love this person. They hate that person. This is what they're digging. This is what they're not digging. And then we wrote to it. And wow. I think this is one of those cases where we kind of wrote to the jar of pickles because it connected with everybody. Yeah. 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 That's great. I, I hope to see it on his desk. Oh yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah, I don't think you're, <laughs> instead of like Kermit, there's a jar of pickles. Yeah, well, both. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, bad. It's, it's it's weird enough that Kermit is there without having a jar of Yeah, and I love the gag. Was it this episode or was it last episode? That was that was also a tricky scene because we gave him the box, and I wanted to downplay the box as much as you can. And as you can see, she puts it there and doesn't. She kind of just kind of pushes it there and leaves it there, and I wanted everyone to forget about it. You know, yeah. which I think everyone did because then you have all those other scenes that come after it. Right. And so then when you come back and you see it, you go, oh, yeah, the box. She gave him that box. So I was hoping that that was sort of the 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 way the people kind of saw that saw that coming coming in. Even when he opened it, if you freeze frame, you could probably see the jar. But I just wanted the top to just just be opening when we cut to his face. Because yeah. I didn't want you to see what was inside yet. It was great. So the uh, the episode also um, had a had a few digs at the anti vaxxing crowd. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes it did, and a lot of people noticed that also. <laughs> that's you know, but that's interesting because that's always been the great thing about sci fi that you can make those those social statements and points of view, you know, in the guise of this is what's happening in the future, and so you know that that's one of the things that people are talking about now, and it's really interesting, and so. That's why Cherry put it in there. You know, it's a, it's a point of view, and, and you could be on both sides of that point of view, but it, it's something that sci-fi does well, and it's something the Orville does well. And it's it's now known for doing that, which I think is, is really great, especially for a, a show that's considered a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like how it's not afraid to take a stand on a point of view, but but at the same time, like you said, present both sides of it. And, uh, yeah, well, that's always that's always the best best TV when you can do that. I, I know even on Twenty Four, you know, we we'd face Jack Bauer with these incredible and the president with these incredible moral decisions. Where you know, it's the old you know, do you let ten people die 
to save a hundred or, or that kind of thing. And, and so I always, my, my thing was, look, if a husband and wife are sitting on a, a couch and you present that story and, and the show ends, I want them both arguing both sides. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, if we did that, we've done our job. You know, if we can nice. present those stories in a way that, that create conversation kind of as, as what happened last year, I think with the, uh, with, uh, Bordas and his child, if you can get those kind of conversations going, it's, it's great. It, it, it's, it's not just entertainment. There's a, a social relevance to it. For sure. So we've, uh, we, we skipped around a bit, but I think we've, I think we covered everything really from the episode. Um, Michael, do you have anything else from it that? Uh, I'm trying to remember if there's any anything, but uh, yeah, I think we've, we've covered it pretty well. John, thank you so much. Oh, good. No problem at all. And look, I, uh, next week is my episode also. And oh, it's, fantastic. It's, it's really cool. The next next week's episode is is really interesting. I think the fans are going to get a kick out of it. Yeah, and that one's uh, that one's called "Nothing Left on Earth Excepting Fishes," uh-huh. and uh, says uh, Ed, from. Oh, uh, I uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, uh, okay, all I'm going to say it's from a pretty famous musical. Yeah, so. it is. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> I don't relate to the show. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> it is it is a line from a from a song from a famous musical. And uh, the synopsis uh, for that is: Ed finds himself behind enemy lines when he crash lands on a mysterious planet. Kelly questions why Gordon wants to take the command test. And uh, next week um, we'll have. Uh, I, I believe he uh, he composed. Um, he was a composer uh, for the score for uh this week's episode oh, joel. joel mcneely yeah we got him on great. next we week we actually just scored it. we scored it this week actually i was at the scoring session wow. and you know this you know i'm sure you know this that uh, you know it's a full orchestra when we score right it's the rare television shows that are still doing that i'd have to say i'm not even sure if there are any other television shows still doing that <laughs> i'd be very surprised if there are but it's pretty incredible to to actually be in the room and and watch it happening it's it's just it's been such a highlight for me because, you know, we, we had Sean Callery on 24, who's brilliant and was a big sort of our secret weapon on 24 because the score was so fantastic on that. But he was a one-man band <laughs> compared to Joel and his, his 80, 80 musicians. Yeah. And I think I remember someone telling us last season that was something that Seth specifically wanted was the full orchestra. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to watch Seth be there and interact with Joel and really just, have such a sense of the music and and even the you know just the the ability to say you know we have three trumpets I think next week we need four. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Have an ear to be able to know the difference between three trumpets and four trumpets when they're playing yeah. fanfare. You know you 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 obviously have to know what you're doing and and Seth knows that world and Joel is just one of the best. So so it really for me again is a great experience just watching watching that happen and and the score for next week's show is just off the charts you know the next week's show has a little more action so you have the big the big theatrical kind of score so it's just incredible joel's joel's work is amazing cool yeah since we're uh, we're talking about the music uh gonna go ahead and uh, gonna plug our contest real quick uh, which listeners have probably seen already on instagram and twitter that uh 
we've teamed up with La La Land Records, and we're giving away some copies of the Season 1 soundtrack album. And, I saw that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. They, they're... Uh, they're they're hooking a, they're hooking everybody up with that, and uh, so yeah, that contest closes at midnight Pacific on January twenty fifth. Okay, so um, if uh, if you're not already, follow us on Twitter at Planetary underscore Union, on Facebook we're at Planetary Union Network, Instagram Planetary Union Network as well, or hit our website where you can also listen to the podcast at planetaryunion.net. and. Uh, you know, toss uh, um, John Cassara follow on uh, Twitter, and I think his Instagram's locked down, but you can follow him on Twitter, at John Cassara. Jaloja! <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you.